Yes, it is time. Another episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I am Farzim Masugian here with you to recap another win yet again for the Kansas City Chiefs, improving to 5-0. But, man, uh, this, is a, this is a little bit of a difficult win to enjoy. It's starting to get more and more difficult considering just everything the Chiefs are dealing with injury-wise. And there's a lot to talk about with that. We'll get into that later on in the podcast. Farzim Masugian here with you. Facebook.com slash Farzim Masugian. That is my Facebook page. Give it a like on there. Interact with me on the Facebook page. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Follow me on there and send me a tweet on the Twitter machine. You guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Let a friend know about it. Share it on social media. It helps the show out. Great for the podcast. So be sure you guys can do that to help spread the podcast, spread the word for the Chiefs Don't Podcast. A lot to get into. In this episode of the Chiefs on Podcast, we're of course going to recap the game between the Chiefs and the Texans on Sunday Night Football. A win for the Kansas City Chiefs, but man, uh, felt like a, a loss for both teams. Both teams just decimated with injuries. Uh, I mean, this was a, a really difficult game to watch, uh, and uh, it, it, it's just tough, uh, especially with J.J. Watt and what he means to the city, especially with everything from the Hurricane Harvey recovery, that was just devastating to watch. And you saw the coverage there, how closely they followed him in the locker room. And they even had a a sky shot of the ambulance leaving NRG Stadium. So just very tough to see for J.J. Watt and for everyone else also. Uh, You know, I I really thought Alex Smith was going to have a tough time with these guys, Whitney Marcellus and J.J. Watt. And then, of course, they both suffer injuries. And the Chiefs suffered a lot of injuries as well. We'll get into that later on. In the podcast, I want to share some intriguing stats, not just from this game. I mean, there are some key moments from this game that need to be pointed out, but also just some big season stats that I think as, as Chiefs fans, you're really going to want to hear and really going to enjoy. A lot to feel good about with this Chiefs team, even with some of the injuries that you're seeing right now, that, that the team is dealing with. There's still a lot of things to feel good about, and I'm going to go back to these injuries, but I'm going to let you know why it's important for you to stay optimistic. It's important that you know, trust the process. I think with Kansas City here, especially with Andy Reid as your head coach, even with everything you're dealing with, it's okay to be concerned. But don't get too concerned. I'll explain why later on in the podcast. Now, some drama here. we got to go over Marcus Peters. Something else has now happened with Marcus. It just seems like when something has happened. You think it can't get any worse, but it just keeps adding up. We'll talk about what happened with Marcus Peters, plus an article that came out over the weekend when it seemed like Peters was trying to do some damage control, but now we have this drama that has now uh, come up, and it is just a complete mess. And then, of course, we will go around the NFL out of bounds, and I'll throw my flags to close out the show. The Chiefs with a 42-34 victory over the Texans, Deshaun Watson certainly looked great in this game. Of course, a, a quarterback that a lot of Chiefs fans thought he was going to come to Kansas City. He had five touchdowns in this game. I do just want to say, I, I, I want to get this out of the way because the Chiefs were outscored in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. But but I just feel like the, the final score, it's, it's extremely misleading. The Texans scored a touchdown and got a two-point conversion with, with time expiring. So... Yes, the Texans did some work late in the game, but but of course, listen, especially when you're dealing with all these injuries, you don't put 100% effort in everything out there. You let them roll it around a little bit. Yes, they allowed a lot of yards and a lot of points. Uh, so the final score is the final score, but uh, the, the score does not represent how close 
this game really was. I, I mean, this was a, a one-sided game for the most part. Yes, again, Houston did some things that looked like they were going to come back, but Kansas City, at the end of the day, always had the game under under control. And that's the one thing to remember. Speaking of being under control, the Chiefs control time of possession in this game 38 minutes in 17 seconds comparing to Houston's 21 minutes and 43 seconds. And also Kansas City a much better job with penalties. More mature this time around limiting penalties to just six in this football game. And Kansas City continues to dominate the turnover battle. Still no turnovers since that first offensive player of the year in which Kareem Kareem Hunt fumbles it on the first play of the season for the Chiefs. In Kansas City, by the way, as I mentioned, that's the only turnover they had was that fumble. They have the second fewest giveaways this year with just one. The fewest is actually New Orleans, in which they haven't even given away any. And they've got zero on the season. Speaking of New Orleans, their quarterback, Drew Brees and Alex Smith, the only two quarterbacks with no interceptions on the season. Now, the Saints, if I'm not mistaken, had a bye week this week. So uh, that obviously helps extend that. Uh, nice stat for for an extra week, but Tom Brady did throw an interception against the Buccaneers uh, in a heartbreaking loss again uh, for the Bucks at least. Uh, but man, uh, I mean, for now, Alex Smith just one of two players to not throw an interception who has started since week one. If you told me before the season that the Chiefs were going to deal with all of these injuries at the offensive line, Mitch Morris and Laurent Duvernay-Tardif and losing Eric Berry for the season, and now you, you know, you've you got a couple of other guys. If you told me Alex Smith was just going to have an MVP type of performance, I would have said you're completely out of your mind. Alex Smith has rose to the occasion. And I've been such a big critic of Alex Smith since that Pittsburgh loss in the playoffs last year. But man, I have been such a critic of his, and I, I just really wanted this whole Pat Mahomes thing to happen and look, he has just had one hell of a season. I'm going to read you his numbers later on because they're just astounding numbers. And I said this on social media last night, and so many of you guys have said this on the Facebook page. This is the best quarterback play we have seen in Kansas City for a long time. Maybe ever. The thing about football is the turnover battle. You've got to win the turnover battle. You commit few penalties, and if you get more fumble recoveries and interceptions, you win You win football games 99% of the time. There's a reason why the Chiefs are undefeated. Alex Smith has not thrown a single pick this year. It has come close at times, but those are mostly off deflections and players not being able to pull in a catch. So Alex Smith has never, in five games this year, more than one-fourth into the season, has put the football in position to where it would have been his fault, where it could have been nearly intercepted. He has not done that once this season. He had another MVP type of performance in this game. 29 of 37 passing for 324 yards, three touchdowns, obviously no picks in this game. Sacked just once. Now again, that that of course helps because Whitney Mercilis and J.J. Watt, I mean, they were out in this game. I thought it was going to be a hell of a lot more than that. And I thought that was going to be part of the reason why Smith would have thrown another intercept, or he would have thrown his first interception, excuse me, of the season, had a quarterback rating of 130.2 
against the Texans. Kareem Hunt, not the greatest game from him. Yes, he got 107 yards, but did it off 29 carries. That's a 3.7 yard per carry average. But Charkandrick West, and this is the thing I love about the Kansas City Chiefs. Earlier this year, throughout the season, anytime Tyreek Hill is quiet, Travis Kelsey steps up. And vice versa, whenever Travis Kelsey's quiet, Tyreek Hill steps up. Kareem Hunt didn't have the greatest game. And again, don't don't fall for the stat of 107 yards. 29 carries for 107 yards, not the greatest stat. Again, I read you the yard per carry average, 3.7. But when Kareem Hunt had a quiet day, it was Charkandrick West who rose to the occasion, stepped up with two big catches. Both of them were for touchdowns in the first half. Now, Travis Kelsey had a monster first half before sustaining a concussion in this game, not coming out of the locker room at halftime. Eight catches for 98 yards, and Tyreek Hill had four catches for 68 yards, and that includes that big catch, which I'll get to later on, that third down catch late in the game that really helped the Chiefs advance the football. Man, the Chiefs were great on third down in this game. Again, that's something I want to get into later on. Chris Conley, I thought he had his more... I don't want to say necessarily his best game because he hasn't had really a a dominating game so far this year. But this is the game where he was more involved with the Chiefs. And again, he had four catches in another game. He had three in this one, but I still felt like he really contributed more throughout the game when he was able to. Had three big catches in this game. Ross Travis came through with a couple of catches, one of them being an 18-yard reception in this game. When you look at the defensive side of the football, Justin Houston continues to do big things. One and a half sacks for him. In this game, Chris Jones forced his third fumble of the season. It was picked up by Derek Johnson, in which the Chiefs eventually got a field goal out of that one. Speaking of field goals, Harrison Butker, butt kicker, whatever you want to call him. He's kicking butt so far this season. He's connected on all five field goals in this game. And they weren't all easy field goals, by the way. He connected on uh, on a field goal from 35 yards twice, connected from 42 from 41, and then his final field goal was from 49 yards. Uh, I mean, those are huge right there. That's 15 points right there for Kansas City. And again, you look at the final score, it was an eight-point game, and again, I, I think the Chiefs would have been more aggressive defensively on that final drive, knowing that it would have been a closer game perhaps. But, uh, I mean, 15 points, I mean, th- those add up. I know field goals are not exciting, but when you can do it over and over and over again, I mean, that really goes a long way. And I'll get into Harrison Butker later on, but not though with special teams just yet. Tyreek Hill gave the Chiefs a big cushion with that 82-yard punt return touchdown that pretty much iced the game at that point. I, I think that was really the deciding moment where people knew that this game was over. You started to see... Houston Texans fans at NRG Stadium uh, start to leave and head to their vehicles to go home for the night. So just really a great night overall offensively and defensively and on special teams for the Kansas City Chiefs. All three phases played very well in this game. And I know defensively, statistically speaking, doesn't look good. But man, uh, to, to to limit Houston the way they did. Uh, Deshaun Watson only connecting on 16 pass. He was 16 of 31 in this game. I mean, they really gave him a hard time. And I think Deshaun Watson's going to get better. Look, I mean, if he if he was in his third or fourth year, perhaps he would have done better against this Chiefs defense. Uh, but look, you've got to go out there and do what you've got to do, regardless if it's a rookie QB or, or someone who's been in the league forever. This Chiefs defense had control of this game 
from start to finish. Now, the defense, as I mentioned, statistically speaking, yes, they allowed 34 points in this football game. I do want to read you this. Games in which the Chiefs allowed 30 or more points in a contest. This year, of course, they allowed 34 against the Texans. Last year, they allowed 43 against the Pittsburgh Steelers on the road. That was the Sunday night football blowout in which the Chiefs would just look awful on all three phases of the game. In 2015, during that 1-5 start, the first three losses of that five-game losing streak, they allowed 31 points, 38, and 36 to the Broncos, Packers, and Bengals. Again, that the, the first three games for that uh, five-game losing streak with that 1-5 start. Now, I will say this. That Broncos loss, in which they allowed 31 points, that, of course, has to do with the Jamal Charles fumble in which the defense scooped it up. So obviously there were there was a touchdown there, seven of those points that the defense was not responsible for. So take that sack for what you will. 2014, Kansas City did not allow a team to score 30 or more points in a single game all year, which is a very impressive fleet to do. The only team to do that that year, by the way. And in 2013, Andy Reid's first year here in Kansas City, he uh, the defense allowed 30-plus to each AFC West rival once, plus, of course, the uh, postseason loss to the Colts that year. Casey went 1-2 and two in the regular season in those three AFC West games when they allowed 30-plus points. So since Andy Reid arrived in Kansas City, this Chiefs defense has allowed 30-plus points eight times, plus the one game against the Colts in 2013. Of course, that heartbreaker comeback that Indianapolis manufacturer but I mean that's that's a very impressive number right there this is the first time in more than a year the Chiefs allowed 30 plus points in a game did it only once last year had it happened to them three times in 2015 and they were all early in the season they got over that hump and of course a big reason why they went on that big surge to finish off the season and eventually get their first playoff win in 22 years 2014 they didn't allow one 2013 only three times plus the playoff game These are really impressive defensive numbers. Kansas City has always been that bend-don't-break defense. They allow a lot of yards. They're one of the worst in the NFL in yardage. In fact, they're 30th in total defense. Certainly not good. But that doesn't mean that you are the third worst defense in the NFL. That just simply means you've allowed the third most yards in the league. Kansas City's defense is filled with a lot of stars, especially when healthy. But of course, injuries are part of the sport. You just have to find a way to overcome it. And this Kansas City defense has really done a great job. And again, they allow 34 points. Take it for what you will. The last touchdown of the game being a garbage touchdown and made no difference in the game whatsoever. Just making it a one possession score for the final result. Now the Chiefs did have a 23-7 lead at halftime. Casey was outscored 27-19. In the second half, again, like I said, slightly misleading because Houston did get that touchdown and the two-point conversion with no time left on the clock to make it an eight-point game or an eight-point win for Kansas City. I want to go back and talk about Alex Smith and and just the impressive performance he had. What really impressed me the most in this game from Alex Smith, and and really I, I feel like this is really his highlight of the season, just how he performed on third down for the Chiefs. The Chiefs were 9 of 16 on third down. Uh, By the way, Houston was 3 of 10. Kansas City ran 73 plays to Houston's 57. In the first quarter, on 3rd and 14, Smith connects with Conley for 17 yards. He connects with Conley again on 3rd and 11, gaining 12 
that time. In the second quarter, Smith finds Kelsey for 20 yards on a third and 11 play. And then late in the game in the fourth quarter on third and 16, the conversion they really needed the most. Smith goes deep to Tyree Kill for 38 yards. And Hill did just enough to keep both feet in bounds for that catch. Houston challenged it. Bill O'Brien disagreed with the call. But the refs saw that Tyree Kill did enough to get that catch right there. A clutch catch by Tyree Kill in that game. And of course coming through with that big punt return touchdown later on. To essentially ice the game and win it for Kansas City. I want to go over some season statistics for Kansas City. Because... Uh, to, man, I, I, you always love it when your team's winning. But even indivi- those individual successful stats, I mean, those are also big things too. People love it when their favorite player, when players from their favorite teams are league leaders. So, for example, with Alex Smith, third in the league in passing yards. I never thought I'd ever say this. 1,391 yards. He ties third with 11 touchdowns. And he has the highest rating in the NFL. This has gone up from the last podcast I talked about. He now has a 125.8 quarterback rating. Tom Brady has the second highest with 112. Kareem Hunt, look, we know the story with him. 609 yards. The second highest in the league is Leonard Fournette with 466. That's a 143 yards difference between first and second place. And Hunt, by the way, has seven runs of 20-plus yards. The next closest are C.J. Anderson and Dalvin Cook, who's now injured uh, for the Vikings, with four runs of 20 or more. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey both are 11th and 12th in receiving yards with 356 yards for Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey just three yards behind him with 353. Harrison Butker, I said I'd go back to him. He already has eight field goals on the season, which ties him for 18th. That is really damn impressive for a guy who's only played two games and was on another team's practice squad. He's already tied fifth with former Chiefs kicker Ryan Suckup and three others for most field goals from 40 to 49 yards out. This Chiefs team is really firing on all cylinders. I mentioned Chris Jones and his fumbles, the forced fumbles he's got this year. He's tied first. For three forced fumbles. Justin Houston is fifth in sacks with five and a half. You've got you've got pro bowlers and all pro players in all three facets of the game. This Kansas City offense, defense, specialty, the way you look at this football team, you've got to give a lot of credit to the coordinators here. Matt Nagy, Bob Sutton, and Dave Tobe. And Dave Tobe, of course, I mean, this guy could really be one off-season away from accepting a head coaching gig. That's how highly praised he is across the league. It's really nice to see this team, despite some of the struggles they've got, uh, just in terms of some of the things they've done, such as on offense, the amount of sacks they've allowed, on defense, the amount of yards they've allowed, and on special teams, some of the injuries they've dealt with. Uh, just to see them all come together. I mean, you've, the Chiefs are top five in, in the NFL in kick return yardage. Tyree Kill has one of the longest punt returns of the season. You have guys who are some of the best at their positions on all three phases of the, uh, of the game. This is why the Chiefs are undefeated. Alex Smith, of course, a big part of that. 
and the injuries. And I want to go back to Alex Smith because I think this is all big with him. You look at the injuries that the Chiefs dealt with in this game. And this is just this game. Justin Houston, he was kept out. Uh, Michelle Tofoya reported a calf injury. It seemed to be kind of precautionary. At least hopefully that was the case. Travis Kelsey didn't play in the second half because of a concussion. And reports were that he could not remember a whole lot. And that's why the Chiefs had him stay in the locker room. Albert Wilson had a leg injury in the game, but did end up coming back. Safety Steven uh, Terrell dealt with a brutal injury. Got kicked in the head and was knocked out on the opening kickoff of Sunday Night Football. And then, of course, Chris Connolly, uh, this was a rough one right here. Had that Achilles injury, ruptured his Achilles, and is out for the year. When he caught the football, there was nobody ahead of him, and Kansas City was about to have another special teams touchdown. Chris Conley had nothing but green grass ahead of him, and with his speed, he could have easily taken it all the way to the end zone. But unfortunately, that injury slowed him down and made him drop. Uh, just brutal to watch. That injury's really tough. And uh, man, I mean, Kansas City's been dealing with some Achilles injuries lately. And it has not been fun to watch. It really hasn't. Kind of reminds me of 2011, I believe, when the Chiefs had Eric Berry, uh, or in order, Tony Moiaki, Jamal Charles, and Eric Berry each uh, suffer torn ACLs. It happened with Moiaki on the final preseason game, and then Eric Berry in week one, and then Jamal Charles in week two. So that was just very tough to watch the Chiefs go through. I mean, really their best offensive and defensive player to go through that. Uh, and now here are the Chiefs dealing with all these injuries here. Uh, and again, this just adds up. Eric Berry's out for the year. He got suffer- he he suffered that Achilles injury to open up the season. Mitch Morse and Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, they're out for now. Hopefully, can come back soon. Cairo Santos suffered an injury, despite the fact that his replacement Butker has kind of made it easier to forget. And again, Spencer Ware also lost before the season. And again, th- that's also easy to forget because of what Kareem Hunt's been able to do. But still, you never want to lose these guys. You you don't come into a season hoping that the backups end up doing well. And again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Of course, what Kareem Hunt's done has has been tremendous this season, but you never want to come into a season with all these injuries and, and dealing with them as the season goes along. Look, teams tr- teams work really hard on putting together a 53-man roster and putting together a depth chart. When you have all these injuries... It is extremely difficult to, when you're trying to navigate you know, your offense, your defense, trying to figure out who you place where and any any position shifting that you need to do with players. It is all very difficult to do for, for a head coach. No coaching staff is ever prepared for this. And you've got to give credit to the coaching staff for just what they've been able to do with what they've had to work with. And again, going back to Alex Smith. You know the team went traded up to the top 10, 10th overall to get a quarterback. They did it for a reason. And when you see all these injuries and the way Alex Smith has performed, he is your clear-cut MVP this season. He has done so much to help the team get to where they are now with this 5-0 record. So again, even though that you may be concerned with injuries, and I am too, this is not an easy thing to just take in and say, it's okay, we're undefeated. Kansas City has an uphill battle to not only stay unbeaten, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. I'm going to say it doesn't. But at the, at the fact that, man, it, it, it's just, you just want to make sure you can get into the playoffs and have a successful postseason and get to the Super Bowl. Listen, it sucks to make a Super Bowl without Eric Berry. I mean, if you tell me that the Chiefs were going to be 5-0 and 
eventually go to a Super Bowl without Eric Berry? I would have said absolutely no way. Eric Berry unanimously was voted for team MVP, earning the Derek Thomas Award, of course, voted by his teammates. This is a guy who's done so much for the team, doing it as a safety. You just don't see safeties take over games like Eric Berry. And for him to be out and, and, and Alex Smith just picking up the pressure, kind of picking up that Eric Berry spirit, that MVP type of player, having that impact, and putting it on the offense. Because obviously, an MVP at the quarterback position does a lot more than a player at the safety position. And again, that's no disrespect to Eric Berry at the same Everyone knows. I mean, this is just common knowledge. The quarterback position is the biggest position in the sport. And for Alex Smith to do what he's done, clearly the best quarterback play we've seen in the first five games in Chiefs history. Alex Smith is your clear-cut MVP right now, especially with what he's had to work with and all the injuries going around uh, across the board. No, no interceptions. It's not easy to go five games without a pick. And Alex Smith is one of the best in the NFL when it comes to taking care of the football. He's been part of one of the best quarterbacks when it comes to a win, having the best winning percentage since 2011. And I've said this before on the podcast, and a lot of people have as well. You know, Alex Smith has done some good things. He, he He's played a factor in having that good winning percentage. But he's also been part of great defenses with San Francisco and Kansas City. This year, this 5-0 start, this is not the defense that's helped the Chiefs get off to a 5-0 start. This is Alex Smith doing everything he can to help make sure that the Chiefs stay unbeaten with everything they're dealing with. That is why Alex Smith is your MVP for the 2017 NFL season through five weeks. All right, this is a subject that's just uh, completely ridiculous to get into. Um, I don't even know where to start with this. I really don't. Uh, I think this is just a very disappointing thing to see. But Marcus Peters, uh, another incident has come up with Marcus Peters. ESPN showed a replay of Marcus Peters going off on, it appeared to be Bob Sutton, the defensive coordinator, and that was after... Uh, I believe it was Terrence Mitchell who allowed that big catch on a long bomb from Deshaun Watson, in which he had a couple of those against the Chiefs. But uh, Justin Houston had to get in the middle of it, just kind of push him back and get him to calm down. And look, I, I know Marcus Peters, I mean, people have come to his defense this year. Charkandrick West was standing in front of the camera while he was sitting for the national anthem on Monday Night Football last week. This just hasn't been a very good year for Marcus Peters, just from a from like a public relations standpoint. Now I don't. I, I he probably doesn't even give a damn about any of that. I get it. But man, this is this is a really special football. He's a phenomenal cornerback. He really is. Now didn't have the greatest game last week against Washington. Everyone's entitled to have a bad game. He's still one of the best cornerbacks in the league. But man, with with the incident last week, you know, yelling at a at a fan, saying "f you" to a fan, and now this going off on your own defensive coordinator. 
I, I, I've read a couple of articles in which Andy Reid's been quoted saying he's an emotional guy. That's how he rolled, and the team, team has to put up with that instable attitude from him time to time. I don't know. Someone tweeted me, because I was talking about this on Twitter. Someone sent me a tweet saying, well, it's because he cares. That's why he he's showing that emotion. Look, I get it. I'm not saying he doesn't care, but listen. You can care and still have a better attitude about things. I mean, look, if you're if, you, if you're in a relationship of some sort, I mean... Sure, yeah, you care if there's conflict. You want to you get that result, but you don't... I mean, do you resort to shouting and yelling all the time? Perhaps that could work for some people. I don't know. I mean, I mean for, for a lot of people, I don't think it does. I just don't think so. You look at everything that you've got with this football team, and look at Andy Reid. This is the last thing this Chiefs team needs. The Chiefs are dealing with a lot of injuries, and they're riding a 5-0 season. I mean, how could anyone have predicted this type of a season for Kansas City, Alex Smith being an, the MVP, Kareem Hunt having the best debut in NFL history and having the most total yards from scrimmage, uh, all the injuries you're dealing with, and you're 5-0. and The thing with Marcus Peters, and, and I'll say this now, we already know the backstory. He was dismissed uh, from, from his college team. Played out Washington, was dis- was dismissed for disciplinary issues, was suspended one game because he had uh, some crazy tantrum on the sidelines uh, with, I don't know, a coach or a player, whoever it was. So he has this reputation, and I saw a tweet, and I'll reiterate this tweet as well. If there's anyone who, who can solve this issue, it's Andy Reid. Look at how many second chances Andy Reid has given to Tyreek Hill. To Michael Vick, and look, I, I know those guys didn't have on-the-field issues with teammates or coaches. Marcus Peters did. Marcus Peters' second chance has been a completely different one. And it looked like everything was just fine. I, the only time you saw Peters really do anything out of and I wouldn't even say it was out of line, but last year on, on opening day, or opening week I should say, he did hold the fist up during the national anthem, protesting while the Chiefs locked arms in unity. He was at the end of uh, of the line, and that's when he decided to uh, to put up a hand uh, during the national anthem. But other than that, the two years he's been here, we haven't seen anything in which you've questioned his attitude, you've questioned his character. This year, there have been a lot of issues with Marcus Peters, and uh, again, I'm not talking about the protests. I, just put that aside for now, okay? Because he's not the only one who's been doing it. The arguing with Bob Sutton, the 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 locker room interview that he gave after Monday Night Football, the fu exchange with a fan, and again with what Terrell, with what happened with Terrell Pryor in the NFL's investigation and what happened at Arrowhead Stadium after Monday Night Football, uh, there was an article, article stating that this is this could be why Marcus Peters is protesting because of what he's been hearing throughout his life, what he's dealt with, and you're seeing it be in, you're seeing it in interactions now with fans and players on both sides of the team. It doesn't even matter if, if you're the home team or the away team. And I'm not saying it's right for Peters to shout back. I'm not saying it's right for Terrell Pryor, but man, I get it if your emotions get to you. But when things just happen, when it just 
piles up and piles up, there are going to be question marks. People aren't going to question everything. It's just, look, hopefully the Chiefs can figure this out. Hopefully Andy Reid can do something. Talk him about, talk him down. Just, just try to figure things out because this right now, I mean, you've got a really special cornerback on your team. And you can't afford to lose another guy. You need him on your team moving forward. And hopefully the Chiefs can keep him here in Kansas City long term. If anyone can help solve this, it's Andy Reid. We all know the story about how many second chances he has given. Andy Reid seems to have done a good job with Travis Kelsey trying to get him to cool down a little bit. Which, by the way, props to Kelsey for not going off. I forgot to mention this. Uh, you can tell the Houston Texans, their game plan uh, defensively, defensively was trying to get under Travis Kelsey's skin. And I think it was Troy on the Facebook page who mentioned that you know th- this is now the Texans being distracted from the w- actual game plan, what should be their game plan. And Travis Kelsey kept his cool when the Texans went up to him and tried to irritate him. So props to Kelsey for not doing that. And surely Andy Reid has talked to him about that. Andy Reid can also do something with Marcus Peters and get him to cool down and start focusing more on trying to do everything to to keep the success going. Surely Andy Reid can do that as well. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. All right, the upcoming opponent for the Kansas City Chiefs, the Pittsburgh Steelers, this Sunday. 325 kickoff, by the way. Uh, Roethlisberger threw five picks in this game. Two of them picked sixes against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Just not a good game at all for Roethlisberger here. And, and listen, this is actually a little bit of bad news for Kansas City because generally when Roethlisberger has a bad game like this, he comes back strong with a bit. I mean, especially with these elite players at the quarterback position who who are one of the best. Whenever they have a really bad game, whenever they're coming off one of their worst games ever, they come back stronger the next game. So, especially given what Kansas City's been dealing with, Andy Reid knows that Roethlisberger's going to come out better than than how he looked against Jacksonville. So, this is a game where, of course, we'll get into it later this week. And Max Shepman, by the way, the former host of the Steel Pit Podcast, he will be joining us again. He's he's been a great guest of our of ours here on the podcast, and of course, a great friend of mine. Uh, he'll be coming back. We'll break that all down and talk about it. But man, uh, Roethlisberger is going to come back strong, and it just so happens Kansas City's next, and Kansas City's five and zero. So you've got this. You've got the steal of something's got to give, and hopefully, Kansas City can continue to get him to struggle because if you can force him to do to do something similar for a second strike game and i'm not saying exactly five picks but just having a bad game that'd be pretty impressive especially when guys like him generally bounce back after a rough performance like that speaking of rough performances the oakland raiders started off three and oh and looked like they were going to compete with the chiefs for the division just like last year they have now gone from three and oh to three straight losses and correction, I did say 3-0, I meant, uh, I meant 2-0. They started off the season 2-0 and have now dropped three straight games. They play the Chargers this week. And if the Chargers win, the Raiders are in last place in the AFC West. The team that I thought was going to win the division this year. This has been a really rough year for a lot of teams. There have been a lot of bad teams in the NFL this season. The standings look really ugly. The leader of the AFC East 
is three and two. Buffalo Bills, by the way. Uh, the Jets are three and two. The Patriots are three and two. You look at the AFC North. The Steelers are three and two. Look at the AFC South. The Jaguars are leading with a three and two record. Kansas City has a big lead right now to start things off in the AFC. Even though they are dealing with a lot with injuries, you at least know that the AFC is not as competitive this year. So you can keep this train rolling and. As long as Alex Smith continues to do his thing, the defense hangs in there, has that bend-don't-break defense, Kareem Hunt, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, hopefully all stay healthy. This Chiefs team is going to maybe not stay unbeaten, but they'll stay at the top of the AFC throughout the season. Final topic here on this segment, man, the New York Giants. Just some bad, bad luck here for the Giants. Losing four wide receivers in one game against the Chargers in the 0-4 Bowl. Both teams came into this game 0-4. The Chargers get their first win of the season. Their first win representing LA. So that must have been nice for them. But gosh, I mean, you also lose Odell Beckham Jr. for the season. I mean, this has just been a bad year for the for the Giants. I did say a couple weeks ago, out of all the 0-2 teams at the time, I thought the Giants were going to be the team that would turn things around. And it does not seem like that's going to be the case at all. So I'll go ahead and throw that pr- prediction at the trash because, man, uh, this has just been a horrible year for the Giants. And when you look at those four wideouts going down, uh, th- that is just brutal. Four players in the same position, never ideal. You never want to see a team go through that. I mean, Sunday was just a brutal year with injuries, especially Sunday night football. And then you look at the Giants and everything they dealt with, a few other teams, just brutal. You never want to see teams go through injuries like that. But unfortunately, injuries are a big part of sports, and teams have to find a way to work around it. And opposing teams... I mean, it's not their fault. They just have an opportunity to take advantage of it and pick on those backups. That's just the way it works. Let's go out of bounds. UFC flyweight champion Demetrius Johnson uh, shattered a big record on Saturday at UFC 216 in Las Vegas. He is now the record holder for most consecutive and most total title defenses in UFC history, uh, both with 11. I, I mean, a guy could lose a title, get, get it back again, and add more title defenses to his record. But Demetrius Johnson, he's never lost a title, and uh, he, he's the first current and only flyweight champion in UFC history. He has defended that title 11 times now. And the way he did it was impressive. In the fifth and final round, he was fighting a guy named Ray Borg, who was a phenomenal young up-and-coming fighter. Uh, but Demetrius Johnson catches him at his arm in mid-air and puts him in an armbar. And it's the most brutal-looking armbar ever. I think it just looked even more brutal because Ray Borg was trying to fight out of it. And that armbar was locked in for a long time, longer than most arm most armbar submissions you see. Uh, so Demetrius Johnson picked it up. Is he the best UFC fighter of all time? Listen, he's not the most... He doesn't gain the most attention because he doesn't go out there and, and go off on his opponents like Conor McGregor does in press conferences. Uh, Demetrius Johnson... And people also say that he's in a very weak division, the flyweight division. For those who aren't MMA fans, that's the 125-pound division. Is that his fault for... 
getting 11 in a row. Look, he's still done things that no other fighters have done. He defeated a guy last year named Henry Cejudo, a former Olympic athlete who was undefeated in MMA. Demetrius Johnson was the first one to hand him his loss. Demetrius Johnson, when he came to Kansas City to fight, he fought a guy, uh, yeah, uh, Wilson Hayes, almost forgot his name, a, a submission uh, jiu-jitsu specialist who has never tapped out before in an MMA fight, and Demetrius Johnson made him tap out ever for the first time in his career. Demetrius Johnson is still doing things that no other fighters have been able to do. If his performance with 11 consecutive title defenses are not impressive, then why hasn't anyone else been able to come up strong in, the, in that flyweight division? Don't take credit away from him. And look at KU basketball. They've won how many consecutive Big 12 titles in basketball? That's not KU's fault. No, look, I, I think it's it's still a fairly competitive conference. Don't get me wrong. But at some point, you kind of realize the competition just isn't as high. And KU's always done a great job with it. That's not KU's fault. They take what they have to work with, and they just go out there and try to win. And they've won what 12 consecutive big 12 titles now if i'm not mistaken i've lost count so listen don't take anything away from demetrius johnson this is a very very tough task i mean if it was easy why hasn't another fighter done it in that division other story i want to get into speaking of ku former KUSL star joel mb it only had one year with the jayhawks but it was a phenomenal one year uh, even despite the injuries he dealt with, he just signed a five-year deal worth $148 million, could earn up to $178 million if he has max performance and can stay healthy. This to me sounds crazy because you look at how, how limited he's been in the NBA so far, but if you think about it, this could also be a smart move. You look at the quote from 76ers head coach Brett Brown, and he said when he's available, he's changed the gym uh, for the team. And, and Brown also went on to call him a difference maker for the 76ers. This is someone who I think can be a phenomenal NBA player. The athleticist, generally with, with centers, they're, they're more bigger in weight, so they're not as athletic as other centers that you see in basketball. I mean, a guy like Shaquille O'Neal, definitely not very athletic body-wise. But Joel Embiid, man, his size and height, his weight, I mean, it is all great. And you don't see a lot of guys with his size at the center position doing that. If he can stay healthy for a full season and avoid the training room for a long time in his career, this guy could go on to have a Hall of Fame type of career in the NBA. He really can. I mean, this guy coming from Cameroon, one year in the uh, in college basketball with, with Bill Self and the Jayhawks, just really flourishing under his system for one year, and then coming to the NBA doing his thing and having a performance, uh, a great performance, rookie performance essentially, and was considered as an MVP candidate for a little bit. He's going to do some big things, especially if he can stay healthy, and I, and I really hope he can do that. I'm, of course, biased as a KU guy, but man, he is really fun to watch, even if you're not a KU guy. You will really appreciate just what he's brought to the hardwood so far during his time in the NBA. Final segment, let's throw some flags. Nick Folk, come on, man. I mean, this you, you've got to make your field goals. He's the Buccaneers kicker. If you watched Thursday Night Football last week, you know exactly who I'm talking about. The Buccaneers, they had New England 
up against the wall here. They really did. And Nick Folk missed field goal, three field goals in this game. He was about to attempt one from about 30 yards out. It was a short field goal. And the announcers were saying, okay, well, he's about to get one here. And he misses that one, too. That, those are that, That's nine points missing on the scoreboard for the Bucks. The Bucks lost by five in this game. And by the way, folks have already been replaced. It's just been a really bad year. Some bad luck for the Buccaneers when it comes to the kicking position. It's a very hard position to get right. It really is. Uh, it's... You can go through a lot of kickers. The Chiefs went through that at one point after they let go of Lawrence Tynes, who, who was good. Obviously went on to win a couple of rings with the Giants, but wasn't necessarily very consistent with Kansas City either. And I think that's why he got let go. The Chiefs drafted Justin Medlock, and he was first of many kickers in Kansas City for a while. The, the Chiefs now eventually found some consistency with Ryan Suckup. Cairo Santos, of course, did some good. And now Harrison Buckter doing good things. So the Chiefs have been luckier lately with, with the kicking. But, man, uh, it's just brutal. You never want to see a team go through that. Uh, that's, that's very hard to, to replace. It really is. Okay. Uh, I don't even know what to say about this. Um, look, we already know what's going on in our world with uh, politics and the NFL clashing. Um it went when they really shouldn't. But uh, Mike Pence was at an Indianapolis Colts game. Okay. <laughs> All right. So he's at the Colts game. And look, obviously, the White House, the, 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 the staff knows that the NFL, they're horrible people because they're players who are kneeling for the anthem and all. So he shows up to an NFL game. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, I think he's a Colts fan. I get it. And by the way, there are people who are like, blowing this way out of proportion from one angle saying that he is reusing a photo that he uh that he uh, used from a game that he attended uh, a couple of years ago he re-uploaded that picture before the game saying looking for basically saying looking forward to the Colts game people are trying to blow that part out of proportion it's, it's just a ridiculous angle of the story but as far as this goes look he was at the game did people even know he was at the game at 12.24 Central Time, he has a tweet with a screenshot of his of his uh, statement in, in like a press release, pretty much saying uh, why that he was at the Colts game, and because he and the president are not going to dignify disrespect to the soldiers and the flag and the national anthem, and he left. So, look, uh, kickoff is what, 12.05 usually? So the National Anthem happens a couple of minutes before that, and at 12.24, he has a tweet out. Was this like some sort of publicity stunt or something? I don't know. I mean, I really don't know how seriously you can take these guys. And again, I'm not trying to get into politics here, but when when you're trying to make the NFL look bad, okay, you already have, and I get it, it's 2017. We're all quick with news and such. But when you're at a game, and there's already a press release, what, 20 minutes after you left? Okay, something about this is fishy to me. It's spelled publicity stunt. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, you know there's going to be protesting. You already know this. So what are you doing? Like, what are you trying to accomplish this time around? By going there, knowing what's going to happen, and 
try to put this press release out. I, I really do think there's something personal. I know Donald Trump once went off on Roger Goodell in an interview, said he would be in trouble or, or whatever. I, I don't I don't even know what their motive is sometimes. It's really hard to take take these guys personally. I mean, politics already a tough thing to take personally, but to this level, I mean, is, have we really gone this low? Come on, people. Well, you know what? I'll end on a positive note. There is a video I uploaded to the Facebook page. Uh, I shared it from another person's Facebook, uh, and this got a lot of views. Uh, this is a video about a guy, and there are a bunch of kids. I'm guess they all look like they're in high school. There are a lot of kids, different ethnicities, white, black, uh, Asian, Hispanic. I mean, so many kids of different ethnicities all lining up, and they're about to have a race. And the guy who's controlling the whole thing, he's moderating the whole thing, he's about to give the uh, ready, set, go. But before he does that, he wants to give people a certain advantage. And he says, if, if your parents are still married, move two big steps forward. If you don't have a meal to worry about, move two steps forward. If you... If you've never had a, a, a bad family income in your family and you've always gotten what you've wanted, move two steps forward. And you see a lot of kids moving forward. And you see, of course, a lot of African-American kids, a lot of uh, Hispanic kids are in the back. And they're, they're way in the back when you see a lot of other kids uh, who are up in the front. And the guy who who was asking all these questions, asking kids to move up, if this uh, equates to them... He said, look, I mean, you see a lot of black kids in the back, and they've had to fight their way to where they are now. And he was pretty brutal with them, too. He said, look, if this was an even race, a lot of those black kids would smoke your ass and get to the finish line before you. That was a really eye-opening moment. And I'll just say this personally, too. Uh, And I've opened up about a couple of things lately on the podcast regarding race and all, but... Uh, I've never mentioned uh, this in my personal life before, and, I, and, I, and the reason I'm mentioning this, it, look, we, we're we so torn politically in, in our country today, it, it, just in society too, that I think we need to start finding ways to come together, and you know, the, the, the point this guy was making is there, there are some kids that that you might go to school with, and they just don't have the success that you have, they don't have the advantages you have, and they have to work their tail off. To even get half of what you might have. Uh, and, and I've got to say, I, I mean, I really do. I, I, I'm real, I'm a really humble person with everything that my family's gone through. Uh, I, I mentioned, you, you know, uh, born in Iran and, and uh, my family and I moved here when we were three. We had absolutely no money when we moved to the United States. Um, we were living in a really bad part of town in Kansas City. And uh, I, I don't recall this I, because I was only three or four, but my mom once told me that, you know, that where we were living, uh, someone actually shot at our window and we had a broken glass and we just had, had dealt with that. Um, my dad was working three jobs. I mean, was working at fast food, worked at a bar. Uh, I, I mean, he did a lot. He really did. My mom was always taking care of me. So, uh, I, I can relate to those guys that, um, that were in the back of that race. Uh, and if you haven't seen this, please go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzimusugin and watch this because I really think this is an eye-opening thing. Please share it. That I really want a lot of people to see that. To come together and understand that, look, we are the same people. We come from different walks of life. We, I mean, we have our own struggles. Some of us more than others. 
I mean, gosh, I mean, even though eventually we, we gradually built our way up, uh, fortunately, I mean, and my dad's really worked a, a lot, and my mom as well. Um, I mean, my mom eventually went to school, had enough money for that, and paid that off and, and started working as well. Um, I mean, I, I've really learned a lot from my family in terms of just hard work uh, and how much that can really go a long way. But, uh, I mean, there are some kids who, who just don't have those opportunities, and, you know, you hear about a lot of people that are wanting to make a difference and trying to keep kids off the streets uh, and from getting into trouble. Uh, you know, keeping them away from fights. Uh, it, it's a tough life that a lot of kids grow up with, and they may not know what's right from wrong, and they grow up causing some of these issues as well. So, uh, if you have a chance, please go to my Facebook page and watch that because I really, if you take anything away from this podcast, at least take that with you because I really want people to see that video and. Just understand uh, how eye-opening that video really is, and um, it'll really put things into perspective, and I really hope it does, so please do share that. I think things like that, even though social media is a really, really horrible place, at times there are good things that can come out, and that video is one of them, so uh, please do watch that and share that. Share with as many people as you can uh, to to just kind of spread the word and find ways that we can come together as a society. That'll do it for this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I'm Farzi Vasugian. Appreciate you guys downloading and listening to the podcast. Facebook.com slash Farzi Vasugian. Give it a like. Interact with me on there. And be sure you share that video that I mentioned. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. Send me a tweet on there. You guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVasugian.com. Max Shetman, the former host of the Steel Pit Podcast, doing some media work in South Florida. He's going to be on the podcast Thursday to help us preview the game between the Chiefs and the Steelers. So always love having Max on the show. Bright guy. Always knows what he's talking about. So definitely going to have him on the podcast and do it again. A great guy to talk football with. So Max Chapman will be on the podcast later this week. We'll preview the game between the Chiefs and the Steelers. Uh, thankfully, for the sake of this podcast, because of the timing, it's no longer a primetime game and I can work around my schedule with this a little bit more. There will be a, a recap podcast on Monday morning's show. So be on the lookout for that. There will be a recap on Monday, but then we're going to have to go back to our regularly craziness with all these primetime games, which, again, I, I like them. Don't get me wrong, but uh, for the sake of the podcast, it just helps to have them out a little sooner. I, I know these uh, recaps come out a little later than they should, but pretty sure you guys are always listening and bearing with me on that. Be sure you share the podcast on social media. Let a friend know about it. Great for the podcast. Helps the show. And subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Once again, I'm Farzi Vasugan. Appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. I'll talk to you later this week with Max Shepman to preview the game between the Chiefs and the Steelers. <laughs>